Hey everyone, welcome to Love, Rinse, Repeat, a podcast recorded by me, Liam Miller, he, him, his, on the unceded lands of the Gayomago people. My guest today is Sally Douglas. Sally, welcome along. Hi, Liam, it's lovely to be here. Now, uh, for those who don't know, I mean, real fans of the podcast know that I interviewed Sally before there was a podcast, back when it was just the burgeoning YouTube channel connected to the chaplaincy ministry, but, but we got you on a, a, a real proper you know, canonical episode now, which is exciting. But so for those who don't know, um, Sally is a Uniting Church minister who works in the mode of scholar-pastor. She ministers with an inner-city parish, uh, lectures at Pilgrim Theological College, and is an honorary research associate with the University of Divinity. Her interdisciplinary doctoral research spanning biblical studies and theology was completed through the United Faculty of Theology in Melbourne, and published a critical acclaim as early church understandings of Jesus as the female divine, the scandal of the scandal of particularity, which was published with TNT Clark Bloomsbury in 2016. Her book that we are discussing today is The Church Triumph, wait, The Church as Salt, uh, Becoming the Community Jesus Speaks About, which is published through Coventry Press and has just come out and has, um, the camera's a bit blurry, but has a wonderful drawing on the front uh and and we'll talk about it more later wonderful drawings throughout so sally where did the uh where's this book emerge from for you was this you know that this idea of the church assault something you've been playing around for a while did it come more recently so i guess you know where does the idea come from and what are you hoping uh by turning it into this book and and sending it out into the world Mm, good questions. I think the bigger question that was uh, central for me was a, a kind of a really strong pastoral concern for people who were trying to make sense of the world that we're in right now. Um, and so wanting to help people to have access to bigger questions and a bigger framework for thinking about the church now in terms of the biblical text, but also I think uh, the early church and early church writers can really be informative as we try to make sense of where we are because there's a really common uh, narrative which is in the media, which is uh, replayed in churches all over the place across denominations that the church is dying, the church is in decline, et cetera, et cetera. And I think it's a really faulty assumption and claim. And um, in the book that's what I really wanted to address and it was helpful to come back to some of the metaphors that Jesus uses. And I, when I first began, I thought that we'd probably spend time exploring various uh, metaphors that Jesus used in the gospel. So, um, the, you know, like a, become like a mustard seed and and become like a child. They're all quite little things. Mm-hmm. But as I engaged more and more deeply with the imagery of salt, I realised it was so rich. I just needed to stay with that one particular metaphor. So it was really, I, lo- I actually loved working on it. I hadn't planned to write this book. I was in the middle of working on some other things, but mm-hmm. um, I was approached to think about it and then it all just, unfolded and yeah it was a delight to do so oh great and I'm glad you did because it is I think it's a really helpful book and I was reading through it just being like oh I'm about to start a new placement I was like yeah this this would be something handy to do like you know because it's got uh reflection questions and practices built in uh, at the end of each chapter I'm like this would be this would be a good conversation because I think particularly you know it it addresses you say right at the heart of that you know you go into so many churches still uh, you know, and, and you particularly you're thinking of uniting churches, which is you know your my context uh, mm. directly, and it's it's still so much of that. Oh, fewer here five decades ago, or exactly. have you like four hundred kids in the Sunday school oh, pack, exactly. and we had all these things. You know, 
we had the choir we, and, you know, and, 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 you know, we were able to do so much with that and bless so many people through it. And, and you know, so much happened and, you know, mm. and, and, you know, you go, well, and, and then and the logic is, well, since that's not there, what is mm. happening now is a problem. Correct. Right. Is, is a, a diminishment is, is not that it's worse. Um, and, and I think part of the struggle now is, is that question of do we want to, is the idea to get back there or at least some sort of modern conception of that or is it something else? And I guess the big part of this book is not, not um, dying but being refined. Um, yeah, that's right. Yeah. And to interrogate some of the assumptions around that um, reminiscence about the church mm-hmm. of a relatively recent past, you know, five decades ago or more, that sense that let's let's look at it contextually. So there was a particular period in history after two world wars. And so so I suspect for some people there was a longing for meaning and purpose and, and seeking the divine. But alongside that, there was also um, an absolute cultural expectation that if you were a good citizen, you attended worship. So if you wanted to be seen as an upstanding businessman, you needed to, whether it was, uh, whatever denomination didn't matter, but yeah. you needed to be attending. If you wanted to be seen as an upright woman and contributed to the society, you needed to be a church goer. And so there's a cultural expectation of that. And then alongside that, there's uh, a lot of people not that wealthy, like, and so, and not that much on offer to do on weekends. And so the church is the social hub for the dance or the tennis club or the theatre group or whatever it is was, yep critical because there wasn't as much on offer and it was the place where you not only gained respectability but you might meet your future partner and it was where you had social activities. There was a huge amount that swirled around it and none of that is necessarily uh, wrong but that's not what Jesus talks about at all in being the church. Jesus didn't say be the church and be the purveyor of respectability. But Jesus had a, the gospel tells over and over again that Jesus had a reputation for being um, really suspect in his choices about who he spent time with, that he had a reputation for being a, a glutton and a drunkard, that he had a reputation for hanging out with who everyone else saw as the low lives. Mm. Um, I think we kind of, we're a bit um, prim about it when we call them the sinners. Like I think using language that, you know, the same kind of disrespectful language that's thrown around now, that's how people would, you know, the no-hopers, the... Mm. Um, the, you know, the, the those who are, yeah, the bludgers, <laughs> those who are considered to be making dodgy choices and the religious elite in Jesus' day are like, seriously, like how, like show us a sign. How can you be the God one because you're hanging out with all of these people? And it's so it's just so ironic that the church became embroiled in this notion of respectability because it's the opposite of how we're told Jesus is in the Gospels. Um, and so what's really interesting about this period in time, I think, is not, that um, there's been less people attending worship because uh, in terms of societal expectations, at least in Australia, if you say that you're a Christian, you're not going to garner respect. Most likely you're going to um, have the mickey taken out of you, disrespect, distrust and so on. So the exact um, context has entirely flipped around. Um, and then alongside that, there are heaps of places to go for entertainment that are affordable. There are heaps of places to meet a partner. You're not going to be respected for your business if you go to church. So all of those things have entirely changed, like turned 180. What I find much more interesting is that people still go to church. Yes. 
no kudos involved and a whole lot of other things on offer to do and yet people young and old are still going and I would argue perhaps even there are more people attending worship now and what I mean by that is they're not there for all those other reasons they're much more likely to be there because there's they might articulate it in different ways or struggle to articulate it but a sense of wanting to know more about Jesus, wanting to follow in this expression of spirituality, seeking God. I'm curious as, um, you know, it comes out a bit in the book and I'm thinking about that, this, this what you've just been saying here, how much of this born of your experience at Richmond United. Um, and, and I guess particularly as, you know, from the sounds of it, now I'm doing ministry with a lot of folks who have no memory or nostalgic attachment to that era of church, right? Who are not yeah. there because of anything like that. A lot not there because of any, you know, some, yes, it's an inherited faith and they're wrestling with it, um, but but also those who who, who there's none. Um, and so I'm curious then about how also this project in a sense of, of go, okay, let's think about it again from, from ground up essentially um, is, is this helpful thing of like, you know, in, in your own ministry context of how people understand what is this thing that you now find yourself a part of, strangely drawn to, um, connected to, but, you know, on the, you know, how, how have you found it as a, as a kind of a helpful way of thinking uh, and forming a community, um, you know, in a, in, a, in a totally new time? Mm. I think so I think we need to be really um, in, in an ongoing way, not in a... Uh, aggressive way but you know a gentle way but in an ongoing way questioning ourselves if we're involved whether lay or ordained um if we're in faith communities what are we here for what are we doing why are we doing it mm. um and coming back to those questions again and again and so um I, I talk about it in the book so each year at Richmond we have this we call it pizza dreaming where we have pizzas and we reflect together on how the year has been but the questions are not do I like it am I happy like that you know that kind of self-serving um which is like a survey for you know other organizers you know community groups might be part of it's like these are our core goals and and it's to create space for authentic um transformative worship and to create space for people to engage with and wrestle with the way of Jesus and you know the biblical text theology and then to seek to serve um in our local and global village so that's what we hold up and go, how have we done that this year? What makes it hard? Mm. And what might we do differently? That kind of, so that we're really quite clear about what we're doing and why we're doing it. And so it, things became, um, people were able to articulate more, more and more time, including me, what was helpful and what wasn't. And so some of those things, for example, like I explain, so we're really careful about language and that this is something I'm really passionate about. So we don't call the prayers of confession, for example, the prayers of confession because that is really loaded language that, and people who have experienced the church often it's not in a good way. So that's the other thing about our current context is that if people have had any kind of connection with the church, whether it's a church school or Sunday school or our teacher, often it's not positive. Um, sometimes it is, but oft, often people who come to Richmond have, have had no church background or they've had traumatic church background, not always, but often. Um, so each week I explain um, we're going to have this time of prayer. It's called in lots of places the prayer of confession. We call it the prayers of letting go because in the Greek of the New Testament, the word for forgive, a phaio, it means let go or release, and it's the same word that you would use for the release of a captive. This is not a guilt trip. This is about all of us just being able to be honest with God about 
to let go a little bit more, to be freed a bit more. And by explaining that, it's giving people access in. If they've just walked in the first time, like, what, what is my being asked to do? And all, and also we begin every single week saying, you're welcome here, whether you're full of faith or full of doubt or a mixture of the two, please participate as much or as little as you feel able. Just so simple, but yet again, just letting people know um, we're aware that this is an unusual way of being in community. Like church is weird. Religious faith isn't just or doesn't make sense naturally, but we're not expecting that you get it or that you agree with it because you've walked in the door. You know, this is a space where we're going to be open and explicit about our faith, but we're not expecting you to take it on wholesale um, or that you're on the same page today, if that makes sense. Yeah. 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 No, thank you for that. I think that is helpful of, you know, because that broader work of, of, you know, both uncoupling from particular, you know, past experiences and, 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 and a cultural captivity and also, you know, just acknowledging that, yeah, we're going in without a large amount of um, pre-existing knowledge uh, and so things need to be talked about, explained. Um, we need to wade into things more, um, you know, and, and you can do that without feeling like you're constantly, um, you know, robbing any kind of mystery or strangeness of, of what we're there to do but you can still yeah. do so in a way that is not, um, you know, um, keeping people at arm's at arm's length. Yeah, yeah. exactly, exactly. Mm. Yeah, yeah. So, so in the in the kind of the first or after the introduction, the kind of first chapter, you're kind of talking a bit uh, about Justin Martyr. So you're kind of talking about the, you know, very the earliest non-biblical kind of extended yeah. account we have of. Oh, I see how excited you are already. I'm glad. I, I love Justin. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so you kind of talk about Justin when he's, he's, you know, he's talking about what Christians do and and how they gather and and, and what that kind of, you know, is as, as this kind of apology for for the reputation they've garnered. Um, so so what does that kind of going back to to Justin Martyr who sets this kind of sets the table of what it is Christians do when they come together. How does that help, I guess, shape yeah. what, what it is you're doing here and, 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 and shape what, what we need to be doing in our own time? Great question. So I love I loved starting with Justin because he is so early and he's funny. Like I think he's a great person to read. Um, and so his background is that he um, was seeking philosophical, uh, like a path to follow and he followed by his own account, follows various different philosophers and different schools and then um, eventually becomes a Christian as an adult. And so he's a great voice in it and he's eloquent and interesting. And what I love about him, so he's martyred in the probably the 160s, um, so he's writing early. Like who knows when John was written? Some people think maybe the 120s. So, you know, this is mm. um, yeah. he's an early writer and at the time, so we're not talking about that kind of state persecution on on the you know that massive scale, but if you can if we can just imagine for a moment, in all the different towns there are various temples to different um, Greco-Roman gods, and the expectation now whether people fully believed it or not we don't know, but the expectation is that everyone goes and makes sacrifices to the various gods you know to get the good crop, to win the war, to have peace, to have a son, you know all the different things, and Christians who were seen as it was becoming increasingly clear that they weren't just these strange Jewish people who had some exemptions they were this other new group and they would not do the offerings they were they were seen as they're called atheists because they wouldn't acknowledge all these other gods and so for some at least um 
there was a very real fear that they were going to bring the anger of the gods onto the local towns and um, bring catastrophe. And, well, not everyone might have agreed with that. It was certainly good politically um, expedient as well to blame the Christians for, you know, see, <laughs> they didn't do the sacrifices. And so I'm <laughs> um, just surprised about that really amusing line, like, you know, quoting some people going, why don't you go and die already? Like, he, like really angry at um, these Christ ones, these Christians. And I think it's so helpful for us because in the West at least, you know, from kind of the three and four hundreds onwards, increasingly the church and the state have been so entwined so that an expectation, the church has tragically in many parts, in many denominations, assumed that we should have the respect of the state and the state should listen to us. Um, there should be special exemptions or whatever. It's not Justin's worldview at all. Like he's writing to the emperor, whether he ever thinks the emperor's going to receive his letter or not, saying, can you just stop hassling us um, we're not cannibals. We're not. Um, we're not as terrible as we've been made out to be. This is how we gather for worship and so on. So that notion that uh, as Christians we should have the respect of the state is a really flawed, really flawed note. Particularly when the one we, that we follow is killed by the state. I mean, mm, it's mm. a really curious <laughs> habit of seeing ourselves that we fall into. But and I think it's so helpful for us to get free of free of that. I think I think part of it maybe is that we've somehow confused the call to love neighbour with being loved by neighbour. Mm. They don't go together necessarily. Like we're called to embody compassion and you know non-judgment, etc. But there's no guarantee that they're going to like or respect or or love us. And that doesn't mean we've failed in faithfulness. It just it is what it is. Yeah. Um, so I think that's one of the what I really wanted to start with, Justin. Um, just to help us to get uncoupled from that particular assumption about, you know, that notion of the church in the centre of the town's mm. square um, and and the purveyor of wisdom or justice for everybody else. Um, that's not Justin's view. Like they're on the edges mm. trying mm. not to <laughs> get Yeah, yeah. Them, you know. Yeah, yeah. That, that is helpful. I think that yeah, sets it up well, you know, for them where you're going. So as you said, Ellie, it was interesting you said that you were originally thinking going to have to bring in a few metaphors to 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 get yeah. to the end of this book and then uh salt ends up being rather versatile um you know so, and and it, it's not until like you know toward the end that you even get to salt as seasoning right like the, the, the one yeah. that people might think most uh first uh, association uh is salt goes to seasoning first salt goes to tears uh which which i think is very helpful i think worth talking about you know, particularly given our current context. So, so, so I, we were kind of talking before we started recording that this is one of the first books that I've been reading uh, where like COVID is an explicit character in the book, right? Like this is written, <laughs> lockdown is an explicit uh, reality and, and you're talking both about in lockdown and what it will be, what we're going to need to think about coming out of it. And I think, you know, one thing that people have talked about is, you know, there is going to be, need, there is needed now and will need to be ongoing you know, some level of acknowledgement of the the grief, the trauma, the disruption, the pain, the isolation that that and myriad of other things that have happened in this time um, to, yeah. to to individuals, but all, but to the collective, right, to the whole society. To, you know, is obviously nothing comes down equally, but you know, it, it it's certainly so pervasive that you know we need to be thinking about how how we do cry together right how we do lament and how we do opening and you kind of talk in the book that you know church has not always been 
the best for that, even though we have resources within the faith, even though we have resources in the in the traditional yeah. liturgy and stuff, it's there. So so talk to us a bit about salty tears and particularly, yeah. I guess, thinking about, you know, this particular season and, and you know, there's going to be this, you know, I can feel already, you know, you know, this, when we come back together, you know, it's going to be so joyous. We're back, you know, we're, we're here. Like, and yeah, that's there. Like, I, I get that, but that's not mm. all it's going to be, or at least that's, you know, that can be the first, or that can be part of it. But if that's, we, if mm. we feel like that then is all of it, and, and now we can just get back to, back to doing what we do, that's, that's probably a bit of an issue. I agree entirely. And actually I think this is a really important um, focus and it invites leaders, lay and ordain in faith communities to actually do some really hard and vulnerable work because to take seriously the place of tears and I engage with, um, you know, the psalms of lament and and Mm. the reality that Jesus is recorded weeping and, and, you know, reflections and revelation and so on, Tears are central to our faith. And that amazing stuff in, in Romans with Paul saying, weep with those who weep. Don't, it's not grab the tissue, stop them crying or cheer them up or tell yeah. them, don't worry, every cloud has a silver lining. And I think this is another really amazing moment for the church, as hard as it is, to get free from the really strong word, but I think vile theology that is peddled both in the church and now I increasingly realise it's in secular um, quasi-spiritual worlds about, you know, that note, all, all of the awful things, everything happens for a reason, um, what doesn't make you stronger, all the kind of greeting card vile um, phrases which really cause harm, like phenomenal harm to people who are already in suffering and it's mm. not the gospel. Like that's that's mm. the point. And so... Like we have faith in this astonishing tradition that claims that somehow we glimpse divine reality in Jesus mm. and that this God one chooses to enter into the, the muck, like the mess of our lives. Yes, the joy, yes, the parties, and, you know, obviously there's been a lot of parties if he's getting accused of being a glutton and a drunkard, but also the sorrow and the deep pain and um, doesn't try and cheer people up but enters into that and bears witness to that, you know. I love that with Mary and Martha, you know, Lazarus has died. He doesn't, Jesus doesn't turn around and say, it's all right, I'm about to raise him. He, mm-hmm. If anyone could say there's a, <laughs> there's a silver lining here, Jesus could at that point, and he doesn't, he weeps. Mm-hmm. And so to take seriously that this is who and how God is, um, this is the God who weeps with us when we weep, like weeps, with, not just watches, but weeps with us when we weep. And so to be able to be the kind of people of faith who are not using faith as um, the opium of the masses, who are not using it as the drug just to try and block out pain, but instead who are being held by this God who weeps with us and then helps us to weep and so that we can be in solidarity with those we journey with, not seeing them as problems to solve because that's what unfortunately part of that kind of whole every cloud has a silver lining is this desire to make people better or fix people rather than just journey, not just, rather than journey with people, whether they get better or not, whether they're happy or not, and to know, for them to know that we will weep with them, um, not overshadowing their tears, but be in solidarity with them. Mm. And um, and again tomorrow if they're still crying, mm. you know, that it's not like mm. this time limit okay you've had your tears now be joyful and it's such a shame because there are such amazing 
you know, those prayers in the Psalms are there, like they're so faithful, but they're they're full on. Like how often do we pray, seriously, God, I've drenched my pillow in tears. Where are you? Like how much how much of a gift would that be um, in our communities now and going out of lockdown to be able to create some spaces for that? Not just not not to valorize grief, not to um be voyeuristic about grief, but to create spaces for there is joy and there is sorrow. Yeah, yeah. I think it's so important, like, you know, I think, you know, I mean, it's always hard to say something like this, but, like, there maybe is an increasing awareness of, you know, the complexity and depth of the world's woe and the world's problems, right? Like, you know, like, you know, um, now folks on the margins probably aren't learning this. (laughs) You know, this 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 is a new knowledge, but... But you know, for, you know, there's this you know constant you know we see the rhetoric around you know people need to educate themselves on the on the you know the history and the present of the country on the you know and just yeah. and just because of the nature of news and social media you, you hear more stories and you come across yeah. more things about okay the depths of corruption or the depths of how hard it is to you know navigate social services you know and, and, and you know this can both be a bombarding thing sometimes but you know there's yeah. this sense of if we're constantly trying to quieten the weeping or or keep it yes you can weep about this thing but once that's done I don't want to hear about the next seven problems because <laughs> we've done that um then you know really we're not going to be able to actually look look honestly at the world that we that that yeah. you know for good reason makes people cry for good reason yeah. you know leads to such hurt and degradation um and and yeah if we're not how you know if we're not opening up those spaces, if we're not creating a community where people can be honest about that, then we're not really going to know our neighbours in any kind of um, you know true way in order to actually love them well. Um, mm-hmm. So, so I think you know I think that's such an important thing of you know yeah not only in this you know not only out of COVID just out of this whole you know the the, the time that we're in um, mm-hmm. feels so vital to actually be able to be honest which I think you know Christians are meant to be able to look honestly at the world and that's from 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 there our hope begins but it, it doesn't start yeah. earlier than that and it's really quite a radical stance um you know the impacts of social media like I think in often cases not always but some of those impacts are devastating you know the mm-hmm. more and more fondness they're finding about you know for example young girls body image after the introduction of smartphones and so on um but there is so much pressure for every age group if they're engaging with social media to hashtag be living my best life all of the time, you know, to be presenting a, a particular image of your life as successful and um, likeable, you know, and, and so much of people's sense of self-worth is now really linked to well, how many likes did I have or so on. Um, and so to be able to offer a genuine space where people can have you know celebrate with others the awesome thing but also weep as well mm. um like the fullness that there's something prophetic about that I'm mean, not only is it grounded in uh, sacred texts and in the person in, of Jesus but it it continues to be I think maybe even more prophetic actually now in this mm. particular cultural moment mm. yeah yeah thank you so so the next kind of we're not going to go through all the chapters but I don't want to go to this one because I guess you know I was excited to see uh you know salty wombs uh, come come up next, which you know, because we've when we've talked in the past, we've talked about your work on Jesus uh, as the female divine and early church, um, you know, literature on connecting Jesus and woman wisdom and and this kind of thing. Yeah. So so to then be able to kind of you know to see that 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 familiar 
aspect of your work coming through in a new kind of focus here um, uh, uh, of thinking about, you know, the church in this kind of way and connecting to Jesus uh, in this way. I'm curious, like maybe first off, was was this a harder chapter to write? Because you're like, this is where Sally shines. This is what Shelly, this is Shelly's oh. bread, bu- <laughs> bread and butter. How do I get this into a chapter that, you know, is the same size as everything else? Um, yeah. Uh, or was it the this is the one that flowed kind of easy because you, you you knew what you know it was there? Oh, good question. <laughs> I think the start of that chapter, um, my main focus was helping people. So I wasn't wanting to dismiss the desire for growth mm-hmm. um, that people had. Yeah. Like that is valid and good. Like if if there is some good news that we have in our experience of the God who comes to us in Jesus, well, we, you would want to share that. You know, in the same yeah. way for you went to a fantastic restaurant and tasted food, you want to tell your friends, you know, I mean, I'm, yeah. I'm not equating the two, but it should it, not out of guilt, not out of colonising or anything like that. If if there is something tasty that is good about this way of Jesus, we naturally would want to share it and put a go. But I love the imagery of a womb, though, because for people um, who have experienced having a baby or who's lost a baby or journeyed with someone who has, they know that it's a really uh, not a guaranteed thing. It's a mm. very vulnerable thing. And so it is growth, but it's often out of our control. Mm. It's hidden. And, you know, it, is, it, has, it talks about, you know, the, the spirits work, you know, the, the growing happens in the night, for example, at the field and so on. So I love that sense about reclaiming notions of growth out of um, prosperity gospel, but also out of the uh, consumerist, you know, do a program, let's break the numbers, let's guarantee the next level, you know, the, all of that kind of notion of growth as empire shaped and consumer shaped to a different model of growth, which is really cool that it's mysterious, it's wondrous, we're not sure how it's going to happen um, and we can't control very much of it. So that that was the beginning of that. And then when it came to the section about wanting to explore or just to introduce people to a little taste of um, early church understandings of Jesus as the female divine. It was more about how much to include and how, you know, um, mm. wanting to give people enough of a taste they can go and do more but not wanting to do a huge academic kind of... Yes. <laughs> so I'm in the middle of the book because my other goal with this book was to absolutely wrestle with the biblical text and early church writers um, but to do it in an accessible way so that if people have never done that kind of deeper reading, they weren't going to be alienated on page three. So I wanted yes. it to be a friendly book, if that makes mm. sense. Yeah. Mm. yeah, Which it certainly is. <laughs> oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I do think that that is so helpful because I think, you know, um, like, you know, that, that growth, you know, I think you're right. Like there, there is reasons to want it to, you know, to, to um, we think it's a good thing to increase in a way that is invitational that, but, but also, yeah. yes, that acknowledging that fragility, um, you know, and not knowing what happens and even thinking about that once someone is born and raised, you you have diminishing levels of um, yeah. influence and control on, 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 on the person they are. And, and, and similarly, you know, if, if you do lead someone, you know, you're somewhat influential and bring, you know, someone into a Christian community, into some sort of relationship with Jesus, and then it's like, well, then it has to be theirs, right? Like, you know, you think of the woman who... Jesus meets the well and she goes off and tells everyone, hey, like this pretty incredible thing just happened. Like maybe this guy's a kind of a big deal. Um, and everyone comes and like Jesus come and hang out. And then they all come to her and like, yeah, we dig it. Or, yeah, we dig it too. Not because of you anymore, yeah. but this, yeah. you know, <laughs> um, which is, you know, 
she did still play a part, but you know, um, yeah. Yeah, there there is this sense of, but you know, it does. You you are eventually, you know, you're drawn into your own relationship, and and you know, she's not going to be able to uh, sway that really. You know, control what they become any more than my mum and dad can. You know, tell me what to do, but they can't tell me what to do anymore. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. And that that notion that it's. Um, that it is organic and it's ongoing and that we are not in control of it. I think that's mm. so important for us to really, I mean, there's gift in that because people can go, phew, we're not in control. Yeah. But also like a real challenge to ego about those who are, you know, really, I mean, it's very seductive to go down the church growth, whichever model is in favour. It's, you know, seductive stuff. Um, but it's, I think it's a really dangerous, not always, but it can be a really dangerous way of um, schlupping back into thinking of the church as important mm. and, and I therefore have an important role in that. And I think that, look, part of this book is like it is, like I do challenge myself and other um, leaders in that because part of I think the grief in our current context is that um, because the church was seen as important, clergy was seen as important, and that's not the case anymore and I say praise be to God like Jesus did not want to set up a team of important people going out he said you know take nothing with you go and be vulnerable in community and if people don't want to hear what you have to say move on don't carry that resentment shake it off and on um but it's much more vulnerable you know so Mm. yeah yeah no that's yeah, very true. So so maybe as we as we as we as we land the plane I'm just curious to think about how you know how you we talked about how the book has you know, is broken up in a way that, <clears throat> pardon me, you know, very accessible, short chapters with built-in questions. Yep. It's also got the art, which is incredible throughout the chapters. Yeah. Um, what are your thoughts or, like, you know, or, or encouragement on how either individuals or communities might engage this work? And, uh, mm-hmm. and yeah, any thoughts you've had as you were putting it together or in the, you know, small amount of time that it's been out in the world? Yeah, great question. Um so I wrote it intentionally thinking that it could be used either for individuals or with faith communities um, together as a study book. So each chapter ends with reflection questions and then a liturgy and inviting mm. people and a liturgy that can be used on your own or with others. Um, and at Richmond we regularly read books together as a community and meet a couple of times to discuss them. And they've been quite transformative over the years. We've read all kinds of books. Um, And so maybe that practice has helped me. And I think also it shifts that, like a lot of people, I talk about this in the book, our culture is so different from what people may recall from even 20 years ago when people met regularly for weekly cell groups, small groups, mm, groups. Mm. Some, and I know they still work in some contexts, but in a lot of contexts they don't anymore. People are really time poor yeah. or, you know, coming and going and so on. So having a discrete um, six or seven weeks or if you did two chapters, it you know, be three weeks or so, I think it's a bit more sustainable for people. Um, so, I, yeah, I think using it in that way and the, and the reflection questions are open questions, not closed questions, like tell me, what did Justin say here? It's like what is this speaking to you and, and what is this? what is this challenging you to think about more is kind of the sense of the questions. The artwork, just a shout out to the artist, Pearl Taylor, the Melbourne artist, and she sat with um, the manuscript and made artwork. They're actually, um, it's paper cut. It's incredibly mm. fine. So you can, she help, if she holds them, you can see through the images mm. for each chapter and they're, they're astonishing in their own right and um, 
I think can be part of a like a they could be part of a prayer practice yes. staying with, with each of those images really. Mm. Um, so that's how and I I, th- I think also it's probably a book, even though it's um, and I intentionally made it not too long, mm. um, but it's quite dense and so it's a book that I suspect people mm. will go back to because it because I like it, particularly in the first chapter like <laughs> if you can imagine a, a line of um, sacred cows no I, I don't eat beef but you know been kind of shot off you know they're kind of a whole lot of idols just get knocked off um but I hope I hope in a way that helps people then to begin to go back to the question of what are we here for mm. and how can we be faithful yeah yeah no I, I agree I think it would yeah would work very well like that and yes is is definitely revisitable and and you would work and just you know pretty much you know again because it's not you saying this is how I transform Richmond United Church and, oh. and, and you can too. And, you know, those books are always like the person just happened to, you know, lightning in a bottle and <laughs> the spirit and something. Exactly. You know, it's, it's just here's an open invitational way of unlearning and learning that yeah. that maybe can then help shape how you think about being faithful more than anything else in this time as this community. So, yeah, it's, it's definitely a, a highly commend it. Yeah, thank you. And just to, um, mm. before I was at Richmond, before I did my doctoral research, I, I was a minister in a rural setting with six little congregations. And mm. so they're, they're in the background as well. So it's not kind of city-centric either. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. No, and I think I did, like, you know, I really appreciated, like, it's such a relief when someone just actually acknowledges, like, people just don't have time. <laughs> like, you know, like that 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 time boy aspect, yeah. you know, because, like, you know, I've done, yeah, work with, working with a, a, a congregation which was in kind of a regional city, which was a commuter town. So a lot of people yep. who lived around the church were spending about 20 hours a week, I'd say, commuting back and forth from work. Right? Totally. Like it's, it's a long thing. So you can't even start something at seven. Like seven's touch and go for someone to make it back from work to an event. Correct. If they can, yeah. they're probably skipping dinner or skipping out on, you know, seeing family or what, family. Or what have you or just exactly. resting. And yep. you know, so you think, what are you, what are you putting on that, you know, you know, how are you doing things that connect with people through the week, if that's what you want to be doing, is is such a conundrum and a question. I think you know, this this tackles that and helps reshape some of those um, fears and apprehensions over here in, in thinking about how we might do it again or how we think yeah. think anew. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Because I think embroiled in that, um, yeah, there's a whole lot, a set of assumptions, and some of them I think are really unhelpful. That not you that we've all been slopped up into that the notion that if people can only make it to Sunday worship somehow they're not committed it's like mm. well Justin only thinks they can gather then like let's yeah. let's reevaluate this assumption because embedded in that assumption I think often um well maybe not explicitly acknowledged is the notion that people aren't at mission when they're mm. teaching or nursing or working at the supermarket or farming like it's a really it's still um I don't know, I think it's still pretty empire-driven notion that the mm. church is at mission when the church does stuff rather than commissioning people out and blessing them that they go out in mission in their everyday lives. Like I think mm. yeah, it, that's part of the issue around time as well. Yeah. yeah. Oh, thank mm. you for that. Well, folks, the book is The Church Triumph. Mm. The church as salt. That's that's my best ability to bring. bring I love that it. To, that's a perfect to, way of putting it. <laughs> <laughs> becoming the community Jesus speaks about out with Coventry Press. Uh, definitely worth picking up. Uh, good accessible price. Good, great accessible book. Um, please do check that out. Um, Sally, is there anything else you want to uh, draw folks' attention to or promote at this moment? 
Uh, no, people, people, uh, I've got a, I'm so embarrassed. I've got a website. If people want to see more of my writing and speaking and so on, they can, they'll find me online. Um, um, yeah. I'll put the website in the, in the show notes. Okay, cool. People can yeah. go to that. Um, there's some great pieces <laughs> on that that I've read and used. So, uh, Sally, thank you so much. And, uh, hopefully we'll speak to you again sometime, uh, sooner rather than later. And, uh, be awesome, Liam. Thanks for all your work. Oh, <laughs> thank you. And folks, thanks for listening. We'll see you next week. Bye. Bye. Uh.